Are we on? Uh, there we go, we're on. What a great start to the message. Dynamic. If you're here with us, thank you so much for just visiting with us. I don't know about you, but have you ever been at something and you get halfway through and you think, is this worth it? You know, have you done, have you done that like a diet plan or something? And, uh, I'm not saying that anybody needs to die or anything, but you know, you have been halfway through something and you think, I'm not sure this is worth it. Or halfway through a film and you think, oh, I've wasted my money coming to the cinema. Kathy always thinks I choose the worst films at the cinema. Has any other wives think that, think that at all? Um, do you ever have that moment where you've started something? Like, you watch a series on Netflix and you watch, like, seven and the series number eight comes, and it's rubbish ending. And you think, that was rubbish. Why have I wasted my time on that? Or is that just me that does that? Sometimes we get halfway through something, and we're wondering, is the effort worth it? Is it worth carrying on? I don't know about you, but church can be a little bit the same as well. What about all the effort for being a good Christian? You know, oh, do I have to read my Bible today? Do I have to be nice to that person today? Do I have to show up at kids today and do the ministry today? And church is so hard sometimes. And you just wonder whether or not all this effort is going to be worth it. Some of you have got jobs where you think to yourself, oh, is this going to pay off in the end? Let me take you to the book of Matthew, and we'll look at chapter 19 and verse 27, and here we are at Peter's, is it worth it moment? Is this going to be worth it, Lord? We have been talking over the last few weeks about parables, and the parables represent the inner thinking of Jesus, and I'm going to talk to you in a few moments about the uh, parable of the workers in the vineyard. But to understand this parable, you have to go back and hear Jesus' uh, response to one of Peter's questions. And in verse 27 of chapter 19, we'll start there. But just before that, a rich person comes to Jesus who's been serving God as best that they can. can. But Jesus says, Give up all your money and then you can come with me and leave sorrowful. Now in that culture, it, it means that the people thought that riches were a blessing from God. And therefore, they thought, well if he can't get saved, then who can? And Jesus says, with God, that which seems impossible is possible with God. And then Peter says this question. We've left everything for you, God. Don't. We've left absolutely everything. So what will there be there for us? <coughs> Jesus. 
Jesus then gives him more of an answer than he bargains for. <coughs> Jesus said to them, Truly, I tell you, at the renewal of all things. Now, if you're here today, and you're checking out God, and you're checking out church, here's the first thing that you have to really consider. Is this all that there is? I mean, really, logically, intelligently, or even in your gut feeling, is it really true that with all the design in the world and all the purpose embedded into your life, that you just have a few years to live and then that's you done? And that's the only purpose, to make fertilizer in the ground. You have to ask yourself that question a lot. Really. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, in other words, Jesus is saying there's going to be something else. When the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, brothers or sisters, or fathers or mothers or wives, or children, or fields, for my sake, will receive hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last. And many who are last, they will be first. You may feel the last today. You may feel like life's dealt you a hard blow. But wait a while. God's got something for you. And then he goes on and says this. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius, which was actually quite a lot of money, for the day and sent them out into his vineyard. About nine in the morning he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. They were in a busy place. People all doing, bartering and moving around, but they were standing in the midst of busyness doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. You won't be sure. So they went. He went out again and about noon and about three in the afternoon he did the same thing. About five in the afternoon he went out and found still others standing around. And he asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us. We're unchosen. No one has hired us, they answered. And he said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. And the workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarii. So when he came to those who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one them also received a denarii. And when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired in the last worked only for one hour. They said, you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair. Friend, 
Didn't you agree for the development? Didn't we agree up front what would happen? Take your pay and go. I want to give, if I want to give the ones who were hired the last the same as I gave you, don't I have the right to do with what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. And some of us, like me at first, will be thinking, I'm on the side of those guys. But Jesus gives Peter an emphatic answer of which this parable is a, is a part. When, he, when Peter says, look Lord, we, we've left everything for you. Are you sure this is going to be worth it? And he gives him three things to, to think about plus this parable. First of all, he says, I'm going to give you an eternal purpose. You'll sit on thrones judging. I'm going to give you judgment and authority beyond this life. You're going to have purpose. You know what? The old picture of sitting on a cloud playing a harp in a white nighty. I don't want to do that. I mean, I know me and the choir are wearing the, the kind of heavenly uniform this morning. But I don't want to sit on a cloud just thinking about God for eternity, don't you? Jesus says that we'll have divine and authoritative purpose. That's number one. Number two, he says, uh, Peter, you have given up everything for me. For as much as you've sacrificed in this life, you will receive a hundred times as much and you will be provided for when? In this life. See, I am not the sort of person that says, we've got pie in the sky when we die. There is actually some steak on the plate while we wait. That's what I think. And you know, God's going to provide for you in many ways. All the relationships, all the things whereby you feel like you've sacrificed it, the things that you've given up because being a Christian has blocked you from some things. All of that. God is not going to be anybody's debtor. He's going to fill your life with relationships. He's going to provide, provide abundantly for you. Amen. We're not talking prosperity. We're talking provision. We're not talking poverty. We're talking provision. God is going to provide for you. So you're not going to be left out. So whatever you've sacrificed. I remember Kathy and I... You know, we planted several churches and we've been to different churches and in our early lives we moved our children around. My daughter was in the first service and I've got my grandchildren now and everybody as parents, we want, we want our children to have the best second life possible. And, and, but we were open to moving and doing what God wanted us to have and we had a miraculous word given to us about our children's education. Said, Mark, don't ever worry about it. I will look after them. And God provided all the right schools. You know, I see a lot of parents do parenting by fear instead of faith. God's going to look after your children. He's going to provide for your children. And He's going to provide for you if you'll follow Him. In this life. Can you hear amen, church? So you'll have an amazing purpose, an eternal purpose. I am not going to be sitting on a cloud wearing a nightie playing a harp. You can if you want to for a while, but I'm going to get on with the eternal purposes of God. And God's going to provide for us. But then, 
Then as well as purpose, as well as provision, Jesus then gives Peter a stunning promise. He says, and you will inherit eternal life. Now, I know that we want to make a difference here in this world. And I know that many of us don't want to be too heavily minded. We know where to use. And I know we talk a lot about being uh, the right people here. And I'll talk about that in a moment. But can we just pause for a moment and say, we are going to get eternity, you know. That is the promise. So whatever you're battling with right now, and however difficult it is right now, and however disappointed you are in things that haven't worked out, can you just pause for a moment and say, but I have eternal life now. And my life is secured forever before Him. That's a wonderful promise. And, and some of you, you, you're so used to being a Christian, you've forgotten the golden end. It's wonderful. Oh, hang on. Is it just me? It's wonderful. Yes, yes. Jesus promises forever. Now, for some of you, that's a challenge. It's an intellectual challenge. But you need to try and get your head around it. You are definitely promised a reward. Now, as British people, and please, those of you who are in the international community, don't become like us. We have this phrase called stiff upper lip. I don't even know what it means, to be honest. It means we don't like to talk about rewards and, and everything. But today, can I just suspend all that? And can we talk about some of the rewards of being a Christian? Is that all right? Because we actually think there's a different life. You are going to be rewarded. In fact, the New Testament describes that you're going to have five crowns. After you, after you die and go to heaven, you have five crowns given to you. Now, let me, let me also explain that when the Bible says about you having a crown, it's not talking about you having a piece of jewellery or having an ornament for you to wear. In fact, we cast all the crowns before the Lord. Some of you are thinking, I was really, Lord, I want to wear that. And then you say, I've got to cast it down. Let me just, let me just kind of ease your mind a little bit. When the Bible talks about you having a crown, it's actually describing something that you are forever. So it's actually a quality of you. Like, let, let me explain it this way. The Queen of England doesn't wear a crown. The crown that she wears doesn't make her the Queen. She's the Queen and therefore she wears a crown. So when the Bible says you have this crown, it's because you are that. You are that. You are that thing. Do you want to know? It says five crowns. First of all, you're going to receive an imperishable crown to show that you will not be uh, perishable in any way. I want to tell you, I'm 60. I've just entered my seventh decade. Okay. Tell you what, today, this morning, I feel like I'm 70. It started with my team on Thursday giving me a gift to go skydiving, or this indoor skydiving. And I was really pleased with that gift because I thought, oh, 
That means that they still think I'm young. <laughs> that means that, you know, I would have hated to get garden centre vouchers. You know, for a, for a handy basket or a plant or something. But they read it right and they, that makes me feel young. Well, that got a thought in my mind. So Friday night, on the day of my birthday, I thought, I'm going to do something really young. I went out go-karting. And all these other people were teenagers who haven't got a driver's license. No, I know I haven't got one, but they definitely haven't got one. And they were knocking me off the track, and they were crashing, and you know, you know what, they were leaving, wasn't it? But anyway, Today it feels like it's falling apart. <laughs> You're going to get a crown, Father. You're going to get a crown so that you will be imperishable. Actually, physically, you won't wear out. Amen? Second crown you're going to get, you're going to receive a crown of joy to show that our joy over what the Lord's done, what we've got, and over each other, and our, our permanent state is rejoicing in heaven. We're going to be in joy. You know our moods go up and down, then we're going to be totally in joy. 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 9, try saying that with full steam. 1 Thessalonians 2 19, we are going to get joy. The third crown that he says is we receive a crown of righteousness and it shows that we are permanently transformed to the right state to commune with God. 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 8, you are going to get a crown of righteousness. You know that you're trying to serve God and then you will be complete, finished, righteous in Jesus. No more striving, no more trying, you will be righteous. We're going to get a crown of glory, which means we will ever, forever, enjoy the overwhelming presence of God. 1 Peter 5 verse 4 says you're going to get a crown of glory, that the weight of his presence will be all around you and on you. You know, sometimes you come into church and say, oh, church was good today, and that was a good song, or this, that, and the other. There, you'll always be in his presence. It's going to be wonderful. And you're going to get a crown of life. Fifthly. Now, this isn't just life in longevity. You know, that you get to live forever and ever and ever. And that's great. You're going to get life in all its dimensions. So the life of relationships, the life of intelligence, the life of wisdom, the life of being able to have purpose, the life of being able to feel alive. The crown of life is not just you get lots of years, it's the quality of life that you're going to get. Somebody say amen, please. <laughs> you're going to be rewarded. So when you think, is this worth it? Is this really worth it? You know, the, the showing off, the being nice, the thinking through work. You need to think to yourself, you know what, God is a faithful God and he'll reward me at the end. But Jesus definitely wants you to know that this is all worth it. But where does he want you to spend your days while you're waiting for these rewards? 
That's why he tells this parable. In fact, this is his preferred location for everybody in this house. He wants you to move from standing around in the marketplace into his vineyard where you can secure those rewards even more. Now, you're going to get those rewards, but his preferred location for you is that you move to his vineyard. Throughout this parable, whether it's early in the day or late in the day, the preferred location of Jesus for you is that you are a worker for the master in the place where he assigns you. No matter how short the time is, even people at five o'clock just working the last bit, he says, I would rather have you there. He never says, oh, don't worry about it now, we've got it covered. In the last even moment, he's going to say, come on into the vineyard. This is my preferred location for you. To get the reward of the vineyard, you have to accept the invitation of the vineyard. Now, I'm not preaching a, a, a faith of works here. Jesus invites you to come into his family, and as you take that invitation, you get to heaven. But, as you are in the family, he then says to you, listen, I want you to make your calling secure. I want to make your identity secure. Come over into my vineyard. Right. Work with me. Right. Let me. Let me partner with you, and let me give you real purpose in life. Can I ask you a question? Can I look at everyone in the eyes and say, what are you living for? What is it, really? What is your purpose? To survive, to make it, to become rich, to get to the end and have the most toys? What is it? What really are you living for? Jesus says, look, if you really want to live while you wait for this amazing reward, come on into my vineyard. You might have known me for a long time, but I'm calling you now. Come, I can give you purpose. God wants you not to just hang around at the fringes of the church or the Christian life, but to be a productive Christian and purpose, a purposeful person in his vineyard, a productive person in the vineyard ministry of him. He's trying to produce fruit in you. He's trying to produce fruit through you. And he wants you in his vineyard. John 15 verse 16 says, You did not choose me. Now we need to notice the parable. In the parable, the master goes to the marketplace. And he, sp and he spies out people. And says, I choose you. Come, come. I want you to do this. There's a reward. There's some wages. Come and get purpose in your life. Jesus said the same thing in John 15, verse 16. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. If you're standing around in the marketplace as a Christian going, oh God, you don't answer my prayers, why don't you take an invitation and say, God, have you got purpose and plan and ministry for me? Because when you become a fruit-producing person, actually your prayers are unhindered. Because you're working alongside God, walking alongside Him, and He's able to answer your prayers because He's got you moving and working. 
Let's not be watchers. Let's start being workers in the vineyard. Now I know, I know, I know that some of you sitting here have such a busy job that you're thinking, Pastor Mark, I couldn't drop another ounce out of my life. My life is up to here to capacity. If you're going to be a worker in the vineyard, you have to have what we call total life management or life stewardship. And there are four key areas of life stewardship. First of all, your time. When you're going to have to manage your time. And some of us might think that we've got no time to serve God. That we can't do another ministry or another place. And this may be really true, but you know, you can redeem your workplace. You can redeem your workplace through simple things like care, prayer, and share. That you simply care for somebody, being a pastor at work. That you say to your workplace, as long as I am here, I'm going to be a healing person in this place. And you can trust me, and I'm going to encourage you, and I'm going to reach out to you, and I'm going to live acts of kindness for you, and I'm going to change this workplace into God's vineyard. That's a word, that's right. And so, and if you will care for people at your work, it doesn't matter how busy you are, some of you are really busy. You get up early in the morning and you don't come home late, and you haven't got time to come out to church in the midweek, some of you, although some of that's a myth. Some of that is a myth, because you know, you're watching Coronation Street. <laughs> but you know, you work hard, but if you care for people, secondly, if you pray specifically for something, if you hear a need at work, and you actually say, God, I'm going to pray that you answer that need. It's not your need, it's their need. And sometimes you don't even have to tell them. But you can't say to people, you know what, I'm going to pray about that. And whatever testimony it is, when God graciously, you see, he's a gracious God. He gives people what they don't deserve. That's right. He goes beyond just filling in the, in the, in the blank. He goes beyond. And, and as you pray for people, care and prayer, God will use you and your workplace will become a vineyard. And then, eventually, if you'll share. Now, some of us do share without the prayer and without the care, and we just become a pain. That's right. That's a word. You know what I'm saying? Oh, we're too busy winning an argument, quoting the Bible verse, getting our word in, making our argument. We've not done the care, we've not done the prayer. All we're into is let me be the big share. Well, I've got a, I've got a time. Well, let me quote share to you. It's spelled a different way. If you could turn back time and come back to caring for people, praying for people, and then when you share, it's got authenticity. But some of you carers and prayers, you just have to step out sometimes and just do a little bit of share. And then your work would become a vineyard. Some of you are so busy, you've got important jobs, and we love the fact that you do that. But you can turn that. You can turn it into a vineyard. You see, stewardship and life and time management means that, that whatever uh, situation you're in, however, everybody does as many times as you can. You do come to church on Sundays. And so you could actually have a Sunday ministry in this house, even if it was once every six weeks. 
You could say, you know what? I'm going to make sure this whole thing happens and I'm in the vineyard. I'm not just going to be standing around in the marketplace going, wow, look at all those tired Christians over there. They should take a Sabbath. Well, we would take a Sabbath if you'd on the Sabbath come and do a bit of work. We would do that. So I just want to encourage you to have a church ministry. You know what? Even though I'm a really busy person, I've got a community ministry. Every six weeks, I prayer walk my street and my estate. I walk quietly and pray for every home. That's my little ministry in my, in my neighborhood. And I pick up litter. Now there's a community litter pick organizer. And, you know, mine doesn't fall on that often. But I just go around and I pick up all the litter in our street and pray for the houses in our street. That's my little community ministry. Now I do that at my time, at my convenience, but nevertheless, I'm doing it. See, I'm trying to manage my time so that I have a vineyard in my community, in my work, and in my church. And I want to encourage you that Jesus is going to say, and this is, his, this is what he's saying to you today, his preferred location for you is in the vineyard. Not standing around in the marketplace watching everybody do stuff. Commenting and debating. The second part of stewardship life management is our talents. You've got to use your talents. I'm just going to say this briefly. And this is true. Unless you use them, you'll lose them. Or they become so dull it's hard to use them again. As God invested in a talent or a passion or an interest, you need to begin to use that and come into the vineyard. God has given you a testimony. Now, when we talk about our testimony, it's our witness to what God is doing. It's if we went to a court of law, we would testify and say, Jesus loves me and he saved me. Now, I, I once read a, a story of a man. He, he wrote his testimony down and he put it in a box. And an insect got in the box and ate his testimony up. And he came a few years later and said, oh, I'll get my testimony out. And I'll tell you what God's done in my history. And there's all holes in it. Because it, something it had been eaten away. You know what a testimony is? It's your ongoing witness to the ongoing story of God in your life. Have you got this week's testimony? You need to be a steward of that. If you ask God to do things this week, you'll have a story about how God has done things this week. That's your testimony. And when we get to the end of time, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb, His grace poured out for Him, for us. And the word of our testimony, our ongoing story with Jesus. How are you managing your testimony? Have you got a great story of how you once were? But you should have seen me when I was pastor. And when I was back home, wherever home represents you, you should have seen how I served back there. Your testimony is getting old. You need to manage your testimony so you begin to serve him now and have a now story about how he's provided for you this week. We've got some stunning testimonies on our team right now about how God is providing schools for our team members. They're amazing. We've prayed them as a team and they've come through as a team. We've got testimonies today. You've got to manage your testimony. Is your testimony becoming historic? Should we get your testimony and should we go to a museum and hang it as a painting 
I go, oh, that was, that's a classic. Let me get it in the right light. What a testimony that is. Woo! It's old. It doesn't relate to me. It once was. But it is there. Where's your testimony? What's your testimony about God today? What's your testimony about God now? This week? And of course, we need to have life management about our treasure. Your time, your talents, your testimony, and your treasure. If you could live in a margin. If you could give, save, live. If you would give, save, live. And manage your treasure. God would bless you. You see, working in the vineyard will shape you and fulfill you. Did you notice that the people who stood around in the marketplace in our parable, did you notice the lack of value that they described themselves? Did you notice that they're standing around? And did you notice that their answer was, no one has hired us. We, we didn't get chosen. My destiny was in somebody else's hand. Everything's against us. We're stacked against us. We're unqualified. We probably aren't as good as the people who've already been chosen. So let's stand around feeling unchosen. Let's have our lack of worth and lack of dignity. You see, if you'll accept the invitation to the vineyard, all of those feelings will go. You see, psychologically, deep within you, God wants to breathe this value into your life. He wants to breathe things into your heart so that you become valuable. He'll make you valuable by His grace. I just should take my shoes off because this is holy ground. And also, you can see that I've got weird socks. <laughs> but you know what? I'm on holy ground right now. Because I want to say to you, all those feelings you have about being rejected, about not being quite up to it, if you will say, well, I don't know who likes me or doesn't like me, but God's invited me to be part of his vineyard, so I'm going to do that. And then psychologically, emotionally, you'll begin to be healed. And I'm not saying just by work hard and forget about your issues. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that as you work with God, you put your arm around him, he puts his arm around you, and there's a healing flow, and you begin to feel much stronger in yourself. Remember... Remember that no matter how long you have been in, anyone coming after you does not deny your reward. Anyone coming in after you doesn't stop you getting purpose, promise, provision, five crowns. You get that. And, and somebody coming in late to the party you know, they, they may get all of that, but it doesn't stop you getting all of that. You see, God's a fair God. He's a gracious God. Remember the thief on the cross. Can you think about that? That his only act was that he said, 
Listen, I believe in Jesus now. And at the end of his life, having been a rebel all of his life, and his friend, actually, who he hung around with, who he was in cahoots with, who he was in partnership with, his friend was hurling abuse on Jesus, and he thought, no, this isn't right. And even though I've been a friend with you, I'm now switching allegiance to Jesus. And he was about to die. Jesus said, this day, you will be with me in paradise. It sounds strange. But God wants to reward everybody who's coming late to the party. Now whether you've been in church a long time or whether you've been in church a short time, God wants you to know that you have a place here. I think about my own mother. Many of you heard me talk about it before, but two weeks before she died, she genuinely accepted Jesus. And now she has those five friends. (laughs) Don't worry about people coming in after you. You know, I think that some of those people who got hired from the marketplace, you know, the, the one who came at three o'clock said, oh, what a, you, you're not doing it right. Let me show you how to do it because they got the skill set and probably changed things that the ones who've been working from nine o'clock, some people were carrying stuff and they said, oh, you don't need to carry it like this, carry it like this. And they probably improved it, probably got on people's nerves. But understand that the people coming in after you, you're a way maker for them. You're their miracle. You've paved the way for them. Just think about the people who paved the way for us so that we could be here in Birmingham City Church today. You see, God's got a heart for others to come and to receive. And you have to ask God to give you the grace to pave the way for other people. Don't say to people, that's my seat. Say, please sit down. Welcome. Don't say... Oh, we do it this way around here. If they've got a better idea, let's change the ministry so that we can get more fruitful. Amen. Even though they come and change the vineyard that you've always worked in, God still has a heart that they come. My heart is that they come. Birmingham needs more BCCs around the city. You would not deny this to the people who you love. (coughs) Could you imagine if it's your relatives who just came at the last moment, you'd be going, isn't God great? Isn't he gracious? I'm on holy ground right now because I want to close by teaching you, just saying that this parable teaches me three things about God. Number one, that he's sovereign and he chooses people. You know what? He chooses people. He goes into the marketplace and he looks and he sees something about you and says, would you come and work for me? And he does that for you. God's sovereign choice is over your life. Please don't refuse that. He's chosen you. Can you imagine me when I was growing up? This kind of person whose shirt never stayed in his trousers. Becky guy with his hair all over the place, running around being wild. I was wild. And God looked down to me and said, I'm going to choose that guy. I'm going to make something out of that disaffected young person. I'm going to make something out of him. God chooses you. The second thing that this parable teaches me is that God is fair and just. He will never be your debtor. He will always give you what he's promised. 
If he's promised you a denarius, he'll give it to you. He's going to give you your full reward. You will never be able to look to God and say, well, you left me out. He will never do that. He will always give you what's right. And some of you, you're in situations right now. They are difficult. And you're thinking this is not fair. And that, of course, is the cry of the Psalms. Why do the wicked prosper? But I want you to know that God will come through to you for you. And he will reward you. And he will do what's right in your life. You will not, in this life, not just waiting for heaven, you will not be able to say to him in this life, well, God, you've let me down. It may seem hard right now, but he will reward you. And he will come through for you. Are you in the vineyard? You see, if you're standing around in the marketplace saying, well, nobody's cheers at me. God will always seem unfair. If you're standing around in the vineyard going, why does everybody else get stuck? But if you'll take the invitation to walk over to the vineyard and say, God, can you use me? God will start being really fair to you. The last thing that this parable teaches me is that God is a gracious God. That his grace he always blesses people beyond their des- they deserve. He always says, I'll give you that. And I'll give you even more. You see, even, even in this parable, a denarius was a huge amount of money for a day's labor. He always blesses people beyond that they deserve. But you know what? You may not be a churchy person. You may be a bit late coming to things. God wants to pour his grace out on you and just include you. Would you stand with me? I'm on a holy ground because I want to ask you as a Christian or whatever what are you living for? Are you just watching? Or can I ask you to stop debating why you can't and begin to say, I am available. We're going to sing a song as a prayer together. And then in a few moments, I'm actually going to ask you to respond and bring your ministry to God. Now, for some of you, I want you to understand something. You've worked for Jesus a long time. And you've worked from nine in the morning down till three in the afternoon. And you've thought to yourself, oh, Jesus has got new workers now. So I'm gonna take a back seat and let them take over. What Jesus wants to do is not replace his workforce, he wants to replenish his workforce so that all the workforce gets larger and larger and larger. So, let me ask you, did you used to work for God? And then through life circumstances, life has changed, your job's changed, situation's changed, oh, 
and you've had kids. <laughs> and things change. I get that. But that doesn't mean to say you walk out of the vineyard and unchoose yourself. You then now have to begin to say, God, open up a new part of the vineyard for me. Give me a new position in the vineyard. I used to do this, but now, Lord, what's the new part of the vineyard? So in a few moments, I want to ask some people to come back and rededicate that ministry that you used to have and ask God to make it new again. And for some of you, it's going to open up new ministry. And in a few moments, I'm going to ask you, if you've got a job and you're struggling at that work, but you can't see how that fits into God's plan, that you come and dedicate that workplace to God. Is that okay? Come on, let's sing to him. And let's lift him up. Because God wants you in his vineyard. Amen? Thanks, guys. Appreciate you so much.